Hi, this is Tony Lloyd. Interviewing people for many years has made me realise that everyone has a life story to tell. Be they sad, amazing or even inspirational, I want to bring as many human stories to you as I can in this series of podcasts. Human Stories with Tony Lloyd. Simon Barry, welcome to Human Stories. Thanks for talking to me. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Now you're uh, you're a lot of things actually. I know a little bit about you now. You're you're um, a teacher, yes, and a mountain qualified leader, yes. Um, and you you've got a charity to tell me about in a minute. So tell me about yeah. your teaching profession at the moment. What do you do? Who do you teach? <laughs> well, I, I currently I'm teaching in a three days a week in a in a further education college in Greater Manchester. But my my main interest was. Uh, SEN, special educational needs, and what is called SEMH, which is social, emotional, and mental health. So these are kids who, for a variety of reasons, cannot be in mainstream education. Um, they either have severe behavioral issues or they have mental health issues, or quite often they're both. Mm. And very often they are from a looked after background. So they are in foster care or they're in, uh, in care homes or uh, they're being cared for by relatives. Okay. Very often, they're not actually with their parents. Right. So th- uh, is this all in a special school that you're teaching? Uh, it's, 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 I've always taught in special schools up until this year. Um, my, my career in teaching started about 12 years ago. Um, and very quickly, I found that actually I didn't like teaching in an ordinary school. It, I found it quite boring, to be honest. Mm. But then I went into the special needs and the SMH sector, uh, and I taught in, in them up until about a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, when I, I left that and started teaching part-time uh, to allow me to follow my other interests, of it, which there are many. Okay. It must be very satisfying to teach um, a disadvantaged child. Can you sort of see uh, progress when you're teaching them, or is, is it really hard work? Um, that's a very hard one to answer because quite often you don't see – you don't realise the progress until long after. Mm. And it's, it's long after even – I, I've literally met ex-pupils in the street and they've recognized me and they've reminded me of things and they've told me how they're getting on and they're, they're, they're actually progressing in life. Mm. Um, and they, they put that down to the teaching and the care they got in the school. I'm not saying it's down to me because in, in a school like that, it's a team effort. It has to be. It's sure. no individual. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you don't really see it at the time. But on reflection, you can see it. Yep. So you know you're doing some good, which must be a nice feeling. Um, yeah, it can be very frustrating as well. Now, you teach um, A-level physics, but presumably to to uh, other children, not uh, yes. disadvantaged children. Well, disadvantaged children, just because they're disadvantaged, doesn't mean to say they're sick. No. Um, so there's some very, very, very intelligent uh, disadvantaged children who, once we get over the, the barrier, that get them to actually realise that this is a way out of, of their their predicament. Mm. They will take the opportunities. But right. yes, uh, even even in the colleges that I taught, I taught in the very centre of Manchester uh, for four years. 
I had something like 27 different languages in one class. Mm. And uh, if you actually went through those kids, many of them, although they didn't have statements of need, they were from very deprived, very difficult backgrounds, uh, which affected their behaviours. I'm sure. I, I have to. Uh, we've got a confession for you now. Go on. Um, which may make you chuckle. I failed one O level when I was at school. It was physics. It was physics. <laughs> <laughs> I passed all the others, just about. <laughs> oh, shame on you! Shame on you, Tony Lloyd! I'm, I'm shame so, on you! I am so sorry. It was a long time ago. It was. Well- I have to say, if you want to destroy a conversation at a party and somebody says to you, what do you teach? And you say A-level physics, you can see their eyes glaze over. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i tell you what, it was a sad story, actually. It was, um, it was my favourite subject because I'm, I'm an engineer and went on to becoming an engineer and I build studios and uh, all sorts of gadgetry and stuff like that and still, still out, still do. Um, so physics and um, metalwork or design technology were my favourite subjects when I did O-levels. And uh, I loved physics and I was really enjoying it. And then the teacher left and, right. and we had a new one and he wasn't very good at controlling the class. So this is like, you know, 50 students in a comprehensive school in North London. So you picture the scene and it all went pear-shaped from then onwards and that's that's why I think I failed the the O level because I couldn't learn anything. Um plus I didn't really like school. I, I left when I was fifteen, so I wanted to get out and do stuff. But uh, Yeah, so see go. I'm the other way around. My my the, the, the person that I say always instilled love of physics in me it was a, it was a guy called Sean Ritchie, who was our teacher up until O level. Uh taught me right the way through school up to O level. He wasn't allowed to teach A levels because he didn't have a degree. Hmm. Uh, but he was originally he was an electrical engineer and he also owned a chip shop in the center of Belfast. Given, given that this was the 1970s, hmm. Richie's chips. And uh, he basically controlled the class like he could control the chip shop. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I, I will leave that to your imagination. I will. <laughs> I will think about that. Thank you. <clears throat> now tell me about. Um, um, we're, we're edging edging towards uh, this charity you're going to tell me about in a minute. Mm. But uh, what made you become a mountain leader? Oh, uh, during the 1970s in Northern Ireland, um, normal, no, I'm going to say normal teenage life just couldn't happen mm. um, for a whole variety of reasons, which are well across the history books. Uh, and I got involved in the Duke of Edinburgh's award in school and the Scouts in school. And the Scouts were run by a guy called Ronnie Hiscox. Uh, God bless him, he's long dead. Um, and uh, and it was also before the days of risk assessments and needing to do this, that and the other. Um, and we used basically used to wander off down the Mourne Mountains. And uh, in, in later years then, once I got a bit older, 17, 18, um, then you should take ourselves off down to the Moor Mountains. And so I cut my teeth in mountaineering, it's been in the Moor Mountains. Moved across to England uh, from Ireland in the 1980s, 
married, family, there was a big hiatus, and then got involved back again with the Duke of Edinburgh's Award and got involved with our local youth service. Um, and uh, decided to train as a mountain, mountain leader. It's actually called a summer mountain leader or mountain leader summer through the mountain leader training association. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did my training um, because it's in the UK for a UK qualification for the kind of hill walking I do. It is the gold standard. And it was just, for me, it was just nice. Could I work at that level? And uh, went off and did that and then did the assessment and passed. And from there on in, I've used it for a whole variety of things, both commercially and simply following my own interests in the hills, which is bringing us to the charity we're going to talk mm. about eventually. Well, um, I'm going to impress you now. Now, I've disappointed you about physics O level, but I have got my bronze Duke of Edinburgh award. <laughs> <laughs> does, that make, does that make up for the O level? <laughs> Not quite, not quite, but, you know, I'll give you time. <laughs> okay, so tell me about uh, this charity. It's called Adopt NI. Tell me about it. What well, does it do? Adopt NI is a tiny, tiny charity based in Belfast. Um, and it, it's a regional charity. It doesn't it doesn't operate anywhere else. Um, I don't know very much about its history, to be honest, uh, but it was set up, uh, it was set up to support and I use this term loosely because some will absolutely disagree with me, but I'm going to say it, use, use it to support adoption survivors. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is people who have been adopted um, and, and then uh, have questions about their adoption. Why were they adopted? Why, what, what was the position? Um, and, and on the other hand, also to help adopt, adoptive families to go through that process as well. And indeed, the families that, that they had children adopted. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a long, long process. Um, and it's a process that, that I followed loosely with a, a friend of mine who, who was adopted. And it's been kind of observing him going through the process of, I now know I'm adopted. Um, he didn't find out until much later in life. He was, uh, I think, about 50. So it's a big shock to him. Mm, wow. Um, and, and then, which, and it was one of those stupid things that I'd known forever. <laughs> I, I can't even remember who told me. It was like when I was a small, because mm. I've known him since I was the age of six. Um, when I was like 10 or 11, maybe somebody said to me, you know, he's a doctor. And I went, yeah, so what? That doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah. So when he approached me and said, you know, I'm adopted. And I think it was harder for him for me to go, yeah, I know. I've known forever. Mm. And he was left with, but why didn't I know? Mm. Um, and then he, uh, and then he was able to to get counselling and get help and work through the whole process of rebuilding who he is to the point where he was he was interested in possibly contacting his family. 
Yeah. So, 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 two things here. Um, I've never really thought about it. Uh, if you suddenly discover that you were adopted, it must have a big impact on your life. But I don't know what that life that impact is. Well, it makes you wonder: is everything is everything else in your life a lie? Hmm. I see. What What else have you not been told about? Hmm. And it and it also brings weird things that you don't think about because. Now you get to the age of 50, 60, which I am, and he is, and you go to you go to the doctor because you're on this, like, you're not you're now getting old, you need to be screened every year. What is the family history on heart conditions? He doesn't know. Mm, of course. Mm, uh, what, is, what is your family history on this, that, and the other? He just doesn't know. And do you find that uh, most people who have discovered that they're adopted or who know they're adopted uh, want to desperately find their real parents? Well, a, a, yes. I think there's, there's, a, there's a stage that, that there are all these questions you want to ask. And you, you need to ask somebody. Um, and the obvious person is the family mm. person who put you up for adoption. Mm. Now, sometimes those answers can't be given. No. Sometimes the answers can't be given because people are dead. Or sometimes the answers can't be given because the people just don't want to give the answers. They don't want to talk about it. Or maybe they don't know. Do, do people, people that adopt children, uh, young children, do they know who their real parents are? No, they don't. But they, they, the details are all kept in files within social services. Okay. So it is entirely possible for an adoptee to trace their natural family. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, it has to be a meeting of two minds. Mm. So you can get to the position where you you know the details, but the person's dead. Mm. And you can't ask that person. Or you know the details and social services maybe contact the adoptive parent or the, the, the natural parents. And the natural parents, for whatever reason, don't want to know. Mm. Um, and that can be very, very difficult. Yeah. Gosh, and, and, and upsetting for the, for the well, adoptive. It's, it's, it's a double rejection. Mm. It's bad enough to be rejected 50 years ago, mm. but you don't remember that. But then to go through it again and I have a natural parent go, no, I, I don't want to talk to you. I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I've got a life. I've maybe, may, I could be a perfectly good reason. Like the, the, the natural parent has forged a perfectly respectable life in inverted commas and the new family know nothing about the history. Mm. Mm. And therefore, they can't, they just can't go through that process. Because mm, it would involve that, extra people, yeah. Yeah, but that causes the the the, uh, the, uh, mm. the adoptee huge issues, and that all has to be worked through. So, what so does, anyway, Adopt NI, they, they're, they're a tiny charity. They offer all of this uh, facility. They offer facilities, uh, uh, counselling facilities. Uh, they, they offer facilities beyond what you would think. Um, so, for instance, if, if somebody is having a real problem and perhaps is starting to self-medicate with alcohol or something like that, then it's it's offering that one-to-one counselling or, or small group counselling that helps them through that period. Oh, okay. Um, 
and that's a Duck Den Eye. It's one full-time member staff uh, and uh, and uh, a whole heap of volunteers. Would they? Uh, obviously, it's in Northern Ireland. Yes. Um, but if people uh, on the mainland or anywhere else listening to this wanted to get help or advice, can they contact you as well to be they, forwarded? They can. They can uh, because there are equivalent organisations here in, in England, Wales, hmm. Scotland, and, and indeed, I guess, in France. Uh, so that there are there are people who do this. Um, okay. And indeed, if somebody was having a real difficulty and they lived in a different part of the UK, and they can't find anybody, get hold of Adopt NI, mm. because if nothing else, they will signpost you in the right direction. Perfect. And presumably there's a website? All one word, adoptni.org. Yep. .org. Easy. Adoptni.org. That's all yep. you need to know. Yep. Simon, thank you very much. Good luck with that charity. Um, take care in the mountains. And um, and keep up the the good work uh, teaching physics. Um, you know, I'd love to retake my physics O level. I don't think I'm clever enough for the A level, but if should I wish to in the future, I'll come to you for some advice. <laughs> well, the first <laughs> advice is they stopped doing O levels many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> Did, have they? Did they? <laughs> Excellent. Simon Barry, thank you for talking to me on Human Stories. Brilliant. Thank you. Bye now. Human Stories is a free podcast with no fees paid to contributors in the hope that they'll somehow inspire and help other people. Get in touch if you've got a story to tell. If you or your organisation would like a professional podcast series to get your message across, contact me to chat about the very reasonable costs involved. Human Stories with Tony Lloyd. Tony Lloyd.